Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Stormy weather. I mean, tornado weather in Britain. Scotland is cut off. My necktie was blown out of the window of the car. So I apologize for coming amongst you improperly clad. I've had a stormy weekend. You'll hear more about it in just a few minutes. Great victory for South Africa in the UFC. Drukas de Plessis, a great victory for South Africa. A string of great victories of South Africa. You see how fortune favours the brave and the sun shines on the righteous. Except for in Gaza, where hundreds more of the righteous Men, women, and especially children have been slaughtered in the last few days. And Donald Trump is on the rampage. And Netanyahu is clearly expecting him. That must be why he's treating sleepy genocide Joe Biden so utterly contemptuously. Fasten your seatbelts on this very windy night in a tornado in Britain. I don't even remember a tornado in Britain, but it's here now. Hurricane Tornado Isha is amongst us. It's going to be a bumpy night. It's the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows podcast with George Galloway. Seriously, karma is at work. Britain, for all its sins and crimes, has been hit by the first tornado in certainly my living memory. And South Africa, well, it is basking in renewed adulation around the world and Duplessis' victory in the UFC after the Rugby World Cup, after the triumph at the Hague of the South African legal team. Well, South Africa's on a mazy run. If the ANC were not slated to win the upcoming elections in the country, they sure are now. Harold Wilson, after all, got a landslide victory when England last won the World Cup in 1966. He pointed out that the country only won World Cups under him and turned out he was right until now. It was a very stormy weekend for me in Birmingham. Both me and uh, the unimpeachable Chris Williamson, the MP who in a modern day Dreyfus affair was kicked out of the Labour Party by the Israel lobby who then had a tight and tightening grip. No one knew just how tight it would become on the British Labour Party. He was Jeremy Corbyn's closest ally. He was Jeremy Corbyn's most devoted follower. He was as close to Jeremy Corbyn as it was possible to be. But Jeremy Corbyn was not able or maybe not willing to stand up and defend him. And Williamson was thrown 
under the bus. A few of us have been there and so know what it feels like. But here's the situation. I am a founding member of the Stop the War coalition. I'm talking about more than 20 years ago. I was its leading speaker. Its biggest and most important speaker was the Right Honourable Tony Benn. But because of his age, he didn't quite do the number of public meetings for the Stop the War Coalition that I was able to do. Sometimes I was doing three in a single day. I toured the country on a bus talking to uncountable thousands of people on behalf of the Stop the War Coalition. I've been a member of the ranks, once small, now vast, of the army of supporters of the Palestinian cause in Britain for more than 50 years. That's five zero years. I was elected six times to Parliament. I am, by all accounts, something of a public speaker. Uh, but I stood in the crowd at the rally of the Stop the War Coalition and the Palestine Solidarity Campaign and was not allowed to speak, and neither was Chris Williamson. There's been a wildly oscillating series of reasons issued from the organisers because, well, there's quite a bit of interest in what happened in Birmingham yesterday. More than 250,000 people have engaged with my tweet on the issue, which is not even 24 hours old. Nobody can quite understand, either abroad or here in Britain, how someone with that track record could be left in the audience and not invited to make a short address when he had asked to do so. A wildly oscillating set of reasons have been advanced. I'll give you the latest one first. In the last half hour, it turns out that the reason was that I have frequently said here on the mother of all talk shows that the Royal Navy should not be in the Straits of Taiwan, should not be in the South China Sea, should not be in the Red Sea. The Royal Navy can't even defend Britain's borders in the English Channel from Albanian people traffickers making thousands of pounds from people's misery dangerously ferrying them across the English Channel in small boats. Of course, my attitude to that has been utterly caricatured, but just examine that latest reason for not allowing me to speak for one moment. Does that mean that you don't want the support for Palestine of anybody who doesn't agree with you on every other thing? Does that mean that you don't want the support of conservatives for Palestine? You don't want Tory MPs to demand ceasefire now? Is that what that means? Is that the position of these two organizations? This policy of an ideological blood test applied to people who want to give support to a single issue campaign, stop the war, stop the war on the children of Gaza. If you don't pass the ideological blood test, 
You can go away. We don't want your support. We don't want you to go on a platform and encourage other people who think like you to come on board the demand of ceasefire now in Gaza. That's what that policy means. But of course, that wasn't the only reason that was advanced. It depended on who they were talking to. If they were, if they were being lobbied by a feminist woman, then the reason was my immediate and admittedly robust support for Julian Assange when he was facing fake rape allegations in Sweden. In fact, some of the people who were on that platform in Birmingham on Saturday, I shall not name names in the interests of unity in the future, some of them were demanding including demanding in Parliament, including demanding in Parliament from the front bench that Julian Assange should be extradited to Sweden to face these fake rape allegations. I had no part in that. I instantly saw them as fake rape allegations and gave my immediate and unconditional, total, unrelenting and now decade-long support to Julian Assange. Others are later to come to that party. If they were talking to uh, a Muslim who was lobbying them, then the reason apparently was my support for Syria in its war against ISIS and Al-Qaeda and the alphabet soup of Islamist extremists. That was the reason why I must not be allowed on the platform. Others said I was too pro-Iran. I was too pro-China. I was too pro-Putin. In fact, one person was told that I was an agent of Vladimir Putin. All these reasons were given to all kinds of different people. Don't worry, lads. We've got a lot of them on tape. Now, quite apart from the mindless sectarianism of all that, quite apart from the utter dishonesty of all that, I'm going to rest my case on the first point that I made. The children in Gaza are dying. They're being slaughtered. We want everybody to support the demand ceasefire now. Whatever their views on the Albanian people traffickers, whatever their views on Putin or China or Iran, we want them to support only one thing, the end of the murder of Palestinian women and children. Any organization, solidarity organization, stop the war organization, worthy of the name, would put aside all differences personal, political, ideological, in order to save those children on the screen that you are watching right now. Hundreds of them died in the last 24 hours. Netanyahu is completely open, brazen now, with what he is saying. I will never allow a Palestinian state. He's telling all these Western governments 
that are giving them money, giving them guns, giving them diplomatic cover at the United Nations in relation to the forthcoming verdict of the International Court of Justice, he's telling them there will never be a Palestinian state and we will not implement any decision of the ICJ in The Hague. And yet all these Western governments are not only continuing to supply him, the gang, the band is being brought back together. France, Germany, Britain and America have already declared in advance that they will not be abiding by any adverse decision of the honorable judges in the International Court of Justice either. Is this the rules-based order? You set up an ICJ, you fund it, you send judges to it, but if it dares bring in a verdict against your pet bulldog, your pet savage devil dog, then you'll simply ignore the decision that is made. Is this the Western values that we are told, that we stand for? Not only are we ready to fund genocide, arm genocide, proselytize for genocide, give diplomatic cover to genocide, if a court declares that it is genocide, we have decided to ignore the verdict of the court. It's hard to see how much lower we can go with all of this. It's hard to see when you see a general from the Netherlands, from the NATO High Command, tell us that we're going to be at war with Russia within the next 20 years. A war that would end the human race by definition. Any war with Russia will be a nuclear war and none of us will be left alive. None of our children, none of our grandchildren, no one, nothing, no bird, no bee, no beast, no human, no leaf, no tree will continue to exist on the planet Earth. According to a NATO general, speaking publicly, he says, in the next 20 years. Little Grant Shapps, if that's his name today, the diminutive warrior posing as Britain's defense minister, he went one further in the course of the last seven days. He said we're going to be at war with Russia, China, Iran, and Uncle Tom Cobley and all. He named five wars that we now have to prepare for. And he was begging on television this morning for people to join the armed forces to get killed for Grant Shapps, for Rishi Sunak. I'm not making this up. In his television interviews today, he begged the British public to join up in the armed forces. Well, that's partly because our Royal Navy is held together by glue. That's partly because you could fit the entire British armed forces 
into a single football stadium, all with seats and all with room to swing a cat. But the bigger question is, and I've now been around London last weekend, Birmingham this weekend, how can we afford all these wars? Leave aside the moral arguments about why we should be risking the end of humanity itself. Where's the money coming from? Have you seen the state of Britain that Scotland can be cut off by adverse weather, no trains, no buses, beyond Preston? How do the Russians manage it? How do the Chinese manage their adverse weather with their super fast high-speed trains? We can't even get a bus from Preston to Scotland. Our country is going to the dogs. It is falling apart at the seams. Our people in this dismal weather are increasingly living dismal and insecure lives. Low wages, high prices, rocketing cost of fuel to heat our homes in this bitter winter. The steel industry. I mean, how are we going to fight all these wars without a steel industry, without a shipbuilding industry? Once we were kings in both fields, now we are nothing. Port Talbot in Wales was just told that the Indian owners of British steel are closing down and moving their production elsewhere, making 3,000 families destitute in one stroke. So we've no money to save our steel industry. We've no money to keep our old age pensioners warm in the winter time. We've no money to afford a future for our young people, leaving school, leaving universities and colleges increasingly with nowhere meaningful to go to make a living. Our holes are rutted like a bombed runway with potholes that would hide an elephant. Our houses are crumbling. Everything is going to the dogs in Britain. And we have a political class that's never done declaring war. War after war after war after war. Keir Starmer, the so-called Labour leader, is fully behind. He said so. The latest war that we are in, in the Yemen, again, we've been killing Yemenis for a hundred and 30 years. Imagine. We've got money to set people on fire in the Red Sea, but we don't have money to warm our own houses. And we're getting ready for war against Russia, or if you believe Shaps, war against a whole range of enemies. Why is it the British way to make as many enemies? as it is possible to make. I've only time to deal with one other issue. 
in the marketplace in Donetsk today, as many as 15 civilians were left lying, bleeding, dead in the snow. As the Ukrainian army, which has been bombing Donetsk for since 2014, yeah, nine years they've been bombing Donetsk. But this time they're bombing them with guns and weapons that we gave them. No pretense of a military objective, no pretense of a counter-offensive, no legitimate target anywhere near, just shoppers, ladies with their shopping bags, lying face down, bleeding, dead in the snow, and not a whisper of regret, still less condemnation from the people who are providing the money and providing the hardware. How many billions did your country give little Zelensky to bring misery on his own people and death, destruction, and being maimed in the Russian-speaking people of the east of Ukraine? You need to begin to ask, really. You need to begin to say, we don't want any more wars. We want to stop the war. Palestine, we're in solidarity with Palestine. Oops, I better watch. They'll be inviting me to give a speech on one of their platforms next. Stay tuned. It's going to be the mother of all talk shows. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. One of my very favorite guests. I used to work with her on RT America. She's a good old Texan girl, though she's been around the world uh, ever since those days. Yes, it's Rachel Blevins. Rachel, welcome back to the mother of all talk shows. Now, there's so much to talk about in the United States. I don't know how we're going to fit it all in. Uh, but I'm working on the assumption Biden's telling the truth when he says he is trying to get Netanyahu to at least bomb the children more quietly, at least uh, <laughs> pretend that they're trying to avoid civilian casualties. 
and at least pretend that there might be a Palestinian state over the other end of that rainbow. And Netanyahu is deliberately humiliating him and is waiting for Trump, hoping that Trump, Zion Don, will be better for him than Biden. What do you think of that thesis? I think you've got a good point there. And yeah, it's been really interesting to watch Joe Biden because obviously any president that comes in in the United States, they know that they have to be pro-Israel. We remember when Trump was initially running back in 2016 and he wanted to talk about a two-state solution. And then all of a sudden things got quiet and he came back and he was very pro-Israel after that. So Biden knows that this is the line he has to toe. But the problem here is that Israel has, of course, taken it too far. It's not unusual for them to kill Palestinian civilians. However, it is unusual for them to kill as many Palestinian civilians as they have killed over the last three months. And so what has happened is that many in the world, including many here in the United States, are waking up to what Israel is doing, to the fact that they are openly committing genocide in the Gaza Strip. And they're looking at the Biden administration and they're saying, wait a second, where is Israel getting these weapons it's using? Oh, wait a minute, it's coming from the United States and those weapons are being paid for using my tax dollars while I'm struggling to pay my bills and to keep a roof over my head and provide for my family. Oh, that doesn't quite add up. So yes, exactly as you put it, you've got Biden in a place where he's still very pro-Israel, however, he's kind of telling Netanyahu, hey, just be a little bit quieter about this. Show us that you're killing, you know, a few less civilians. Stop drawing so much attention to yourself. But Netanyahu is rebelling in a in a very big way as this week you had Blinken saying, hey, we're talking about a two-state solution. Everything's good. We're trying to keep the region happy. And then you had Netanyahu coming forward the next day and saying, actually, no, we are going to control everything. And I think his use of the term from the river to the sea yeah. shows exactly where Netanyahu who is standing right now, and he's showing that he feels like he can do whatever he wants, and who's going to stop him right now? No one. If you buy and breed and build a savage dog, you have no way of knowing if it's going to turn on you or turn on your, your baby you know, grandson. You've no idea what that savage dog will in the end do, or a more classical reference, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, not many people read it to the end. Uh, when Dr. Frankenstein made a monster, he made a monster that he could no longer control. That's why it's called a monster. Uh, that's what we've got here. It is the hyper support. I mean, it really is unprecedentedly hyper, unconditional support Israel has received over 50 years or, and more uh, from the United States that has turned this client state into an uncontrollable uh, weapon uh, that is increasingly looking like it's going to hurt the people who made it. 
It does seem that way. And, you know, it's interesting to see kind of the rhetoric, because obviously, as you pointed out, Trump is very pro-Israel now. He's gone above and beyond. And so the assumption is that if he comes in for a second term, he's going to keep being pro-Israel. But you also have those running for the presidency, like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who also very pro-Israel, but he described it as the U.S. having an aircraft carrier in the Middle East. He's saying, hey, we need to support Israel so that we can have some control over the Middle East. But as we're seeing now, Israel is getting many countries in the Middle East to want to turn against it. And so you've seen this monster that the U.S. has created, and they all knew it was coming. Maybe they thought that because they are the ones supplying the weapons and the funding and keeping the Iron Dome running, that surely Netanyahu would respect that. He hasn't on his end, but I also think that he's coming from a position of being this rabid and this outspoken because he knows that that is what his party wants and that there are many individuals there who support that. And And he also knows at the same time that the second the war ends, he is out of office. And so you've got a situation where you've got Biden struggling to stay in office and complete his first term, let alone run for a second one. And then you've got Netanyahu just trying to stay there. But unfortunately, when it comes down to those who are running for president here in the U.S., they all seem to understand the line that you have to be pro-Israel. And that means, in this case, being pro-genocide, because that is what Israel is supporting. Now, how is the campaign going? Donald Trump's on the stump. Uh, He's giving speeches uh, all over the place. He won uh, the Iowa caucuses by by an unprecedented uh, margin. I think he won 89 out of 90 counties in uh, the state of Iowa. No one's ever remotely come uh, close to that record. Uh, He won by 30 clear points uh, over not uh, the candidate favored uh, by the establishment, Nikki Haley, but over Ron DeSantis that many people thought uh, was running out of steam. How is it going, uh, first of all, uh, on the Republican side? Uh, And then what kind of campaign do you think Joe Biden is going to run? Well, when it comes to the Republican side, you're right. I mean, Trump has been far above in the polls the entire time. And now we're kind of seeing that become reality as we had the Iowa caucuses last week. And then we've got the New Hampshire primary coming up this week on Tuesday. So we're really getting into it. It's been interesting to watch as Trump has really proven no matter what they throw at him, it almost makes him more popular. Another criminal trial, another civil trial, it all adds to his popularity because the American people People want to see someone as anti-establishment. They want to see someone that is actually going to drain the swamp. Now, do I think that Trump is going to come back in and do that in a second term? Personally, I don't have much hope for it. But he is very good at campaigning. He's good at making it look like he is going to take on the establishment. And right now, the establishment is the Biden administration, and they are doing everything they can to go after their top opponent. And that, of course, is not voting well for them. When it comes to Nikki Haley, she is the establishment personified. And so she's got those big money donors from the people who really don't want to support Trump. So instead, they're saying, oh, we'll support Nikki Haley. Now, of course, Nikki Haley is one of those who would get into office and take us to World War III in some form. Biden's gotten us close, but I feel like Nikki's one of those. She would push us right over the edge if she could. It's 
been interesting to watch Ron DeSantis because I know he was very popular back during the pandemic and again looking like he was calling out the establishment on his end but because he's supported by a lot of people who also support Trump they've kind of looked at him and said eh, next time around come back in four years or eight years now when it comes to the Democrats was been really interesting to watch is that they have basically said we don't need a primary we don't need a contest we have a sitting president he can run again for a second term don't worry about it but the problem of course is that their candidate is joe biden who increasingly has those kind of biden moments where you look at him saying something and then the white house has to come out and explain over it and say oh well, he didn't really mean that so what's going to be interesting to watch is if Biden comes out in the next few months and says, hey, I have, you know, insert health issue here. I've decided that I'm not going to run. And then to see who the DNC puts in his place, because that won't be the Democratic voters getting to decide who their candidate is. That will be them once again being told who their candidate is, which is exactly what we saw with Hillary Clinton, exactly what we saw with Joe Biden and why so many in that party are tr starting to feel disenfranchised because they simply are not getting a choice of who their representative is. So you still got doubts that it will be Biden on the ballot? I do. I'm, I'm very curious to see if they're going to try to throw in a Gavin Newsom or if they're going to just milk it for all that it's worth with Biden and get him as far as they can. Now, it could be one of those cases where he's the Democratic nominee, gets all the way through. I don't see him winning the election if it's completely fair and clean, but there's also the concern about Kamala Harris being his vice president. The fact that if she has to take over at any point, it is not going to be good, as we've seen from just about any time she has a public appearance. Speaking of fair and clean, uh, the prosecutor in Georgia uh, that uh, secured a conviction, I think, uh, against uh, Donald Trump, or certainly brought the case, might still be under judgment, I, I don't recall. Uh, she's now been exposed as uh, having a long adulterous affair on the public dime. She's now facing charges in her own courts uh, for financial malfeasance uh, spent uh, during uh, a secret affair with one of her own uh, prosecutorial uh, staff. Uh, Fanny uh, is her name. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not in the legal realm, but if I was going to bring a case against, say, the former sitting president and 18 other co-defendants, I would be marking, making sure that I was doing everything so clean and so proper that no one could ever question it. But apparently in Georgia, that is not what happened. You've got the Fulton County District Attorney, Fonnie Willis. She comes in. She brings this massive case saying that Trump and over a dozen other co-defendants, that they tried to interfere with the results of the 2020 election. Now, she brings it under racketeering charges, which a lot of people have questioned that already, why you would go that route. But nevertheless, she does. And then one of those co-defendants, his attorney's looking into it. And she finds that, wait a second, Fonnie Willis has been called to testify in a divorce hearing. That divorce hearing involves Nathan Wade. Nathan Wade is the lead prosecutor that Fonnie Willis has hired to be on this case targeting Trump and all of these other defendants. Oh, and Nathan Wade was also paid around $600,000 for this job, despite the fact that he has no experience 
experience whatsoever in order to do it. And he was paid nearly half a million dollars more than the other two prosecutors that were put on the case. Oh, and there's even more because Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade allegedly have gone on all of these different vacations since he got that $600,000. So they've gone on cruises. They've gone to the Bahamas. They've been just living their life all out in the public thinking that no one would notice. And maybe if this was some random case in some small town in middle America, people may no not notice. But this is a case involving the former sitting president who is running for election again. And I, I don't know how these people can be this stupid and reckless, but yet yeah, we're finding out about all of it now. <laughs> Banana Republic, uh, that is yes. for sure. Uh, Rachel, uh, tell people how they can follow your work. Uh, alas, we can't see you on RT America uh, now because they closed it. Uh, but uh, people, I know a lot of our viewers like to keep up with your work. How should they do that? You can follow me on YouTube, which is just under Rachel Blevins, or on X or Twitter, which is on Rach Blevins. Thanks so much for having me on again. Fabulous to see you again. Thank you very much. Rachel Blevins for coming on the mother of all talk shows. Uh, should dual citizens serving in the IDF face war crimes charges? It's a bit of a no-brainer that. If, uh, if a Muslim in East London went out to fight in some cause that uh, appealed to him, say, in Gaza, when he came back, he would definitely be arrested. But the Israeli soldiers involved in alleged genocide are coming back to Britain and resuming their jobs. Some of them are police officers. Some of them are bank managers. They've just been out in Gaza killing people, killing children by the thousand, more than 10,000 children have been killed. And they come back as if nothing had happened. What is it with British law. I don't know about American law. It might be more difficult there. But on the face of it, British law is clear that you're not allowed to go and fight in another country's army when you're a British citizen. So should these dual citizens serving in the uh, IDF face war crimes charges? You can vote on my telegram, t.me forward slash George Galloway. You can vote on my Twitter, my X. You can vote on the YouTube community poll, and you can vote on the YouTube stream. If you're watching on uh, YouTube uh, or on Facebook or any platform that allows you to share, please do share the program now with all of your uh, contacts. Let me take a quick break. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Doc Jazz is a surgeon 
an author, a musician, and an activist. Oh, and by the way, he's also Palestinian. He's got it all. He's the man with the plan. Let's go to him now. Doc, welcome uh, to the mother of all talk shows. I'm a big admirer uh, of yours. Uh, we'll we'll talk about your your music and so on uh, later. But let's start with the with the deadly serious stuff. Where do you think the Palestinians are now? That nobody's coming to their aid. The Israeli government has made it clear that whatever any court says, whatever any politician says, they're going to continue the slaughter. Uh, where does that leave a people that have been besieged and and bloodied uh, for so very long? Yeah, George, uh, thank you. Uh, I'm, uh, by, by the way, very honored to be on your show. I'm a big fan. I watch twice a week, so it's uh, it's quite, quite a, a thing you. to suddenly be on. Thank you. Uh, yeah, this is, of course, a very, uh, very good question, a very important one, too, because it relates to the effect of that huge surprise that happened on the 7th of October. All these decades, uh, 75 years, it's true that we had our own PLO, we had our own uh, resistance factions. Uh, there was there were several attempts uh, uh, by Palestinians uh, with with, you know, the variety, diversity of uh, ideologies involved to uh, to mount uh, resistance against uh, Israel somewhere in the back of everybody's mind not just the Palestinians themselves there was always that idea that we need others we need uh, the Arab world we need the Muslim world behind us uh, there was a long time when uh, we were looking in the direction of the Soviet Union uh, uh, for for some kind of support moral support political support all that kind of thing and the special thing about 7th, 7th of October is that uh, it is a 100% purely Palestinian initiative uh, of resistance, uh, which has shocked the world not only because of uh, its uh, power, it was a very powerful attack, but also because uh, it has shown that when Palestinians do something by themselves, it actually has, uh, you know, gives like a, almost... The kind of like an avalanche uh, effect in the world. And uh, ever since 7th of, of October until now, it's not only uh, Palestine which has been uh, kept busy with the situation and for the Palestinians themselves in the most awful way imaginable, but uh, the rest of the world is in uh, also in a kind of a panic. And it's pushing uh, the tectonic plates of global politics into uh, into frictions with each other, which could explode or uh, ignite things, smaller things, bigger things. Nobody really knows uh, what's going to happen. And that is uh, a very tense situation, uh, which might have effects which uh, which reach everyone on the globe. Now, they're, they're uh, turbocharging the old two-state solution, about which they've done nothing. Uh, for 30 years. I was a supporter uh, of the Oslo Agreement. President Arafat persuaded me that it was the best that they could get, that with the collapse of the Soviet Union, the absence of uh, United Arab World, uh, it was a compromise to be sure, but it was one that was worth uh, making. And that it would get the Palestinian leaders back to the country, build something, 
but it's all, it turned out all for the birds, really, didn't it? Uh, every uh, inch of the land that was supposed to be the Palestinian part of the two-state equation has been either settled or scorched uh, or uh, ethnically cleansed uh, or otherwise rendered non-viable. First of all, I uh, was never uh, um, uh, pro the uh, the two-state solution. So for me, this has been a very difficult time uh, all the time because uh, I was not happy with what was going on. And the reason for that is uh, that I don't believe that uh, powers uh, voluntarily surrender uh, power, uh, not even a little bit. Powers just don't do that, not, not in the way that I read history. Uh, when you have a situation where you want something from the other one who has control over everything, you have to have a means to exert power on uh, onto that other force in order for that other force to surrender something. And because I didn't think that we as Palestinians had that, and we we might have had that if we had, like, uh, for instance, superpowers backing us, I, I really didn't see it happening. So there was not really even one minute or one day that I thought that this would be a, a, a viable idea. Also, I... Uh, have been reading about Zionism all my life, and I know their quotes, I know their theories, I know that uh, the Jabotinsky uh, brand of uh, Zionism has been in power now for a very, very long time and has actually changed, um, or if there ever was any milder form of Zionism, which I actually doubt uh, as well, then that is in the past now, it's purely Jabotinsky uh, style, which is Netanyahu, and now even mixed with the, uh, well, you know, with the re religious version of, uh, of, of Zionism, it, it means that you have uh, an adversary, an enemy, who simply wants it all. So for me, this is uh, a part, my, I'm, I, like I said, I was very surprised about the 7th of October. It took me by surprise, and I think everyone, but I am not surprised by anything which has happened after that. Even now, Netanyahu uh, rejecting uh, the two-state solution and saying that there will never be one. And the reason for not being surprised about that is because he said it many times before. And I don't know why, when he says that, people still give credence to other things that are happening. Uh, and if you look at uh, Israeli politics closely, which I do, then uh, then there aren't really things uh, on that level which which are surprising. Settlement expansion has always continued. Has it ever stopped? Has was it ever halted? Was it ever paused? Land grabs did they ever stop? They never did. Uh, all the things which are uh, moving towards complete uh, domination of what Netanyahu calls the land west of the Jordan. All of that was happening. So this, from, from my side, the way I see it, that's just an extrapolation of what was already going on. So uh, how does it make me feel? The same way it has been making me feel for uh, the little over five decades that I've been alive now. <laughs> very uh, angry, very de determined also. And uh, we're, we just still have a long struggle ahead. And you know us, you know the Palestinians, we never give up. No, well, that's definitely uh, true. Um, do you think the net effect on uh, international support for Palestine, opposition to Israel, uh, has 
changed the game in any way? I mean, when I started in the Palestine cause, you could have fitted all the supporters of the PLO, like me, into a very small, uh, maybe not a small room, but a small, small club. Uh, but now, everywhere in Britain and everywhere, that uh, support has has uh, bloomed, has really expanded dramatically to many millions everywhere in the Netherlands, in France, Germany, Britain, USA, Canada, uh, everywhere in the Western world, there are millions of supporters of the Palestinian people. Can that change the game? Uh, it could if those were true true democracies. But uh, as I think you uh, you probably agree with me, they're not uh, they're not pure democracies. They not they don't really function uh, in a democratic way. For instance, how can you have a real democracy if you have uh, a media which is not uh, which is not impartial? Impartial media is the foundation of the, of democracy because uh, people need to have normal and full access to all the information to have a look at everything separately and say, okay, you know what, this is my opinion and this is my opinion. But if you're being brainwashed and guided and goaded into certain, into thinking a certain way, if uh, pure lies are actually allowed on media without uh, fact checking, and uh, in the beginning we might say, oh, well, a mistake was made, uh, something wasn't checked properly and it slipped through, we're sorry, we made a mistake, uh, that is a different era. That's like decades ago. That has never happened since. All these uh, media are owned by conglomerates, and these conglomerates all sing to the same uh, tune. I do not want to diminish uh, the importance uh, of this this huge effect that we've seen now in these past months. I'm even still uh, uh, struggling with it. I'm 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 having a hard time. Uh, understanding what I'm in now because I've been so active all these years and it was always you're trying to 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 call out something and, and nobody's hearing you and now uh, you write or you say something and everybody goes yeah absolutely so uh, that that is a very confusing uh, thing for myself and perhaps uh, for other Palestinians as well uh, but uh, uh, whether that will really result in anything real well, you know, uh, we can have ideals. The real world still works on geopolitics and ge uh, geopolitics. Sorry, geopolitical uh, uh, elements uh, are what decide the outcome of everything. It comes down to uh, to uh, your army, your um, your resources, your uh, political friends, your allies, and uh, in that sense, uh, I don't think. Uh, that the Westerners, uh, the, the Western public, uh, has at this moment a lot of influence uh, on it. But I do think that uh, this situation uh, will wake them up about it and will say, uh, I mean, because they believed this democracy idea. They believed that this, and I, you know that I was born and raised in the Netherlands. I lived for 40 years in that uh, democracy so I know what I'm uh, I, what I'm talking about. I know what I've lived in, and I know how the citizen feels. Uh, and I think that this has shaken up uh, more than we can see at this moment. I think that uh, uh, October 2023 was pivotal in many ways uh, because uh, I think many people have 
seeing masks come off that they didn't even know were masks, uh, didn't even suspect that they were masks. So uh, I think change is coming. And the only thing is that uh, we can't predict how uh, how things will coincide, how things will go. Uh, for instance, here in the, in the Middle East, uh, the tensions are increasing every day. Nobody can deny it. It's really, uh, it's really building up. Everybody's feeling it. Everybody's tense. Everybody's waiting and uh, seeing what's going to happen. And we don't know that when it happens, what that it will be. We can we can make five or six possible scenarios, but it's very hard to to predict uh, which one uh, will uh, you know will will come first and and then what will come next. It's it's actually we have uh, the risk of a snowball effect uh, things. Uh, leading to other things which we which we can't oversee and which can be disastrous uh, for all of us including people who haven't even given a moment's thought to the plight of a small nation called the palestinians and yet that may be the trigger for uh this avalanche of uh events which may even uh, sweep us all away where can people see you play? What is it you play? Uh, I play uh, many instruments. Uh, I play guitar, piano, drums, and bass, but I also play Arabic instruments like oud and uh, shibabi, which is a uh, Palestinian flute. It's a, a very uh, traditional right. uh, thing, yeah. which is actually a danger of disappearing. So uh, by playing it, I'm, I'm trying to also uh, help uh, keep it alive. I have a YouTube channel. I have a Facebook channel. I'm, I'm, I think I'm very easy to find. If you just type Doc Jazz, you'll... I'll be looking after the show to see you play. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Uh, back to the lines. Kate is in Washington. Uh, let's hear from her on Palestine. Go ahead, Kate. Hi, George. God, I love you so much. I'd Thank like you. to introduce you and your audience to a fella, a Palestinian, uh, named Mahmoud, it's M-A-H-M-O-O-D, and then if you put space O-D, he's on YouTube, Mahmoud O-D. He's got okay. amazing sources and daily update, updates with completely new information that's not available anywhere else. And, and is he is he sure. in uh, is he in Palestine right now? He he is in London right now. He's in okay. your neck of the woods, and okay. I would love it if you would contact him through his information. Uh, he's got his uh, direct email address. You can find it uh, through going to the the YouTube channel and getting the uh, address from that. And he's okay. Very we'll definitely sure. do that, Kate. Yeah, he's, tell us more. Yeah, he's very sure Palestine is actually winning the struggle, and he has many sound reasons to back it up. And, uh, like, for instance, he actually do, drew diagrams and, and talked about why the tunnels, for instance, this was a while back, could not be flooded. 
the Palestinian engineers expected Israel to try that. And so right from the get-go, they were made uh, so that they could not be flooded. So all of that was bullshit. Well, excuse me, uh, was okay. not real. <laughs> I, 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 I'd like uh, to add, yeah. the more I know about the Palestinians, the more I'm in awe of them. They are the finest example of humanity I know of. Well, I think uh, many of us shared that uh, view. Uh, it wasn't their choice uh, that it should be so. They didn't choose uh, for their country to be colonized uh, by European settlers. They did not choose the religion of the European settlers that colonized them. All they knew was that people came from Europe and took their land, took their houses, uh, drove them out of their own country, and in an uncountable number of cases, killed them. And because they refused to accept this, as any self-respecting person, if you think about it, would do, if someone came to your house and took it over, uh, allowed you to live in the back garden in a tent, uh, but periodically bombed that tent or drove you out of the garden periodically uh, into uh, neighboring gardens nearby. If uh, your children uh, were born as uh, refugees outside or uh, displaced people inside, uh, while someone else enjoyed your house, uh, someone else enjoyed uh, your garden, its flowers, its fruits, and so on, you'd be pretty sore about it. And you'd probably, faced with such a sea of troubles, take up arms and, by opposing, seek to end them. That's all that the Palestinians have done. And they're the only legal actors in this whole picture. They're the only people with the law, international law, on their side. They have a legal right, one would argue a moral obligation, but definitely a legal right to take up arms and resist people who have illegally occupied their country for well over half a century in many cases. Kate, thanks for that call. Rash Latif says we've got to have solidarity amongst ourselves. We can have difference in opinions. On the topic is Palestine stick together. And Claude Mee says, months ago I remember George insisting that America runs the USA and not the other way around. Is George still of that view? I don't see how one could be. Uh, yeah, I absolutely believe uh, that Israel is a creature of empire. First the British Empire and now the American Empire. Uh, Robert Kennedy is right when he says that Israel is our unsinkable aircraft carrier uh, in the middle of the Arab world. But that doesn't mean, and I've never said otherwise, uh, that there is not, I was going to call it unhealthy, but that seriously understates it, that there is not a deeply sick problem in American democracy that uh, people whose only interest is the interest of Israel are able to, by one means or another, persuade U.S. lawmakers uh, to forfeit America's own interests in favor of their client state. But there's still a client state. Let me put it, uh, if you like, as bluntly as I can. If Joe Biden turned off the money tomorrow, 
if he turned off the weapons tomorrow, if he voted at the Security Council of the United Nations uh, tomorrow in a totally different way uh, than the way that the U.S. has done for as long as I've been involved in this issue, which is over 50 years, uh, it would make uh, the situation of the state of Israel untenable. So the U.S. has the power. It has the power to stop this, but it will not use it. And in an election year, Biden is absolutely terrified of which way the chips would fall if he were to come out of the closet and state publicly that this cannot go on any longer and that it must stop right now and no more money and no more weapons and no more protection in the international arena will be afforded to Netanyahu. Netanyahu would fall the next day. Bita Khalif says, thanks for the best university for truth, justice, and humanity. Regarding the Nobel Peace Prize 2024, I have to say both South Africa and Yemen and the Palestinian people should have it. Thank you for that. I Look at News says, I am non-white from South Africa, a teenager in the 80s. Apartheid was never as brutal as in Israel. Marco Sullivan says, Hi George, what the hell is occurring in Germany? The ADF party, second in the polls, uh, talking of deportations. Can you educate us? From Mark in Worksop in Nottinghamshire. We will have to deal with Germany uh, nearer the uh, polling time for sure. Last call though, because there's only three minutes left, is Danielle from Arizona on Palestine protests. Danielle, it'll be warmer in Arizona than it is here, where there's a tornado blowing and it's below zero. Uh, Tell us, uh, cheer us up about Palestine protests in Arizona. Well, I actually just have a quick question. Um, Do you think an organized bank run for a ceasefire would be effective? Uh, I'd probably be arrested at the door if I called for an organized bank run. I think that there's a case for changing your uh, account from one bank uh, to another. Uh, In Britain, for example, and maybe also in the US, uh, Barclays uh, is uh, not uniquely, but especially uh, likely to face that kind of campaign. And many people, I see it on social media, many people, are closing their Barclays bank account and uh, transferring their business elsewhere. Uh, And that will begin to uh, have its effect on Barclays as the boycott of McDonald's is turning out to be an extraordinary success. Uh, McDonald's has lost uh, probably billions as a result of their early decision to hand out burgers free to an invading army on its way to genocide. It doesn't get much more serious than that. And McDonald's have paid a very high price for that. Uh, No self-respecting person will now be seen dead in a McDonald's. And many people have vowed that they will never uh, cross the threshold of McDonald's ever again. And... uh, Starbucks at Dublin Airport 
has changed the name of Starbucks. That is a phenomenal achievement by the Irish people and by the boycott campaign. And Starbucks, too, must obviously now be regretting the utter stupidity of endorsing by by association uh, their company and their coffee uh, with with what has since happened uh, in Gaza. And there are many others that are coming under real pressure of boycott. Now, whatever our governments think, we have the right to boycott. No one can legally force us to drink Starbucks and eat McDonald's. And so we should exercise our own free agency and boycott at least the worst offenders. And I've given the names of three of them. Uh, At least the worst offenders, don't give them your business. And if we all do that, the impact is phenomenal. And it really hurts them. And it sends a message to other companies to distance themselves from the foolish idea that by endorsing genocide, endorsing occupation, endorsing child killing, that you could possibly improve your business. Well, look, uh, time is up. I I do have to close the show now, uh, but uh, the tornado permitting, I will be back on Wednesday at the slightly later time uh, of 9 p.m. UK time. We'll definitely examine uh, this uh, Ron DeSantis development, work out what that means for American politics and everything else on the international and national agenda will be there. See you then, God willing.